Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. And boy, I'm excited to see Tristan Snell's new book, Taking Down Trump, 12 Rules for Prosecuting Donald Trump by someone who did it successfully. And Tristan, you are an attorney. You uh, are also a uh, legal commentator for MSNBC, NPR, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal. You served as Assistant Attorney General for New York State when you led the investigation and prosecution of the Trump University scam. And I'll also just say you're the founder and managing partner of Main Street Law, a content creator with over 650,000 followers across Instagram, Threads, TikTok, Twitter, or X as he prefers to call it. And you live in New York City. And um, I'll just say now, and I'll say it again, takingdowntrump.com is your place to uh, download the book at your your favorite bookseller. And um, so all I can say is we need you, Tristan. Let's tell the public, like, what was the formula that you're now trying to encourage other prosecutors and just even the average citizen to understand about dealing with this guy in court? Yeah, thank you. So the... Uh... The, the, the kicker here is it's a combination of, of courage along with the legal merits that you have to build up through really dogged investigation and being very creative because Trump is going to stonewall. You have to get documents from third parties. Uh, but that courageous leadership piece of it is really critical where if it doesn't matter if you've got a whole bunch of evidence, if the lead prosecutor in an office doesn't actually want to go forward, then the case is not going to go anywhere. Uh, and that almost was the case in, in our case, uh, three, four, five, six different times. And then we've seen it also with uh, DOJ not initially green lighting, going after Trump and his inner circle for January 6th for over a year, according to a reporting from the Washington Post. Uh, or uh, Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, not uh, putting the kibosh on the uh, investigations that that office had going uh, and they were sidelined for a year and then he started bringing them back. Uh, But that opens up a place where we as citizens can really play a role. It is their job to hold the bad guys accountable. It's our job to hold the good guys accountable. And I think that that's a really important thing that we have to note is we have a very important role to play and we have been playing it in my view Mm -hmm. There is we we built up a constituency for accountability, and because of that, that's why we're seeing more of these cases going forward. It's an indispensable element to actually bringing justice about. Yes, and let me just start as a former whistleblower from the about the Moonies, which got me interested in this weird topic forty-seven years ago. They threatened, they were trying all kinds of things to make me back down. Mm-hmm. And it just made me stronger that no, damn it, you know, you can threaten to kill me. And if you kill me, then there'll be more publicity on this and then right. you'll be exposed even more. And understanding the mindset of the predators or the predatory organization and their playbooks is, is critical but you really need to have a spine 
because yeah. they're they're nasty and they'll go all kinds of not only social media trolling and etc they will try to spread disinformation about you and in um, amongst your peers or you know with in the media etc so um courage absolutely how'd you do it like what 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 about tristan snell said no damn it i'm doing this well it wasn't just me for one thing which was obviously critical because if i'd had to go it alone who knows but the, the good news is that i was part of a very devoted team of folks at the ag's office that just would not let this thing die. And that's really mm -hmm. the key. We were just really relentless and obsessed with it. Uh, and and thankfully, some of those people outranked me and had the clout within the office to actually do something about it. Uh, uh -huh. my, my bureau chief and then her boss, the division chief, uh, you know, uh, and then there's, you know, there's five divisions at the AG's office. Uh, and then there's one first deputy AG that's sort of the, 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 the second, the number two lawyer in the office. Uh, those five uh, division chiefs and then the deputy, uh, the first deputy, those six people are the most important six people in the office other than the AG himself or herself. And, you know, thankfully we had somebody who was up in that position of seniority that she was able to really go to bat for this case and make it happen despite all the foot dragging we had all the evidence that we needed a year before we filed our case it got uh -huh. sat on for over a year before we finally went forward and then i think we probably took about six weeks or so to polish it up and get it ready for going public uh but that was a key part of it was just the fact that we we wouldn't let go that we were you know, both very thorough and creative in how we approach the investigation, but also that we would not let go even when folks in our own office, particularly the AG himself at the time, Eric Schneiderman, uh, didn't want to go along with it or seemed to be very much on the fence and conflicted about it. We had to engage in a lot of efforts to convince him that it was a good idea for him personally. We needed mm. to make it seem like it was in his self-interest to go forward with the case. And ultimately it, it was, he imploded for really horrible reasons that we all know about with his violence against women uh, and had to resign. Uh, that was in 2018, I want to say, but before that in the, in the 2013 to 18 time period, Trump university became one of his signature accomplishments that he talked about all the time that helped him get reelected that had turned him into a national figure really. Uh, and, it, it was politically beneficial for him to do so. It wasn't something that was going to get him into a quagmire from which he might not return. Uh, so a lot of the book is about how do you get a prosecutor, whether elected or appointed, to, to actually go forward with something? How do you get them to greenlight the case? How do you actually then execute on the investigation? And then how do you execute and keep going even when Trump is going to counterattack He's going to send a clown car of lawyers with a lot of diversions and distractions at you. How do you manage all of those different situations and still be able to keep marching and keep prevailing? Yeah, and keep your uh, eye on the prize, right. so to speak. Very much so. Because they really will try to distract and disorient and, and uh, find any way to undermine... I guess I'm curious as a as a citizen, like how is this different than the mafia or some mm -hmm. organized crime 
prosecution? You know, it, so as I cover in the book a bunch of places, and I'm guessing you're, allu- you're probably alluding to this, uh, there hmm. were some interesting parallels that I uncovered in some of my research between how the mafia folks have operated like this and how Trump did. And they actually even share a common ancestor, so to speak. Uh, really, you can trace both of those threads of, of strategy and tactics back to, among other people, Roy Cohn, uh, who was the lead lawyer for Joseph McCarthy in the 50s. Uh, he ended up being Trump's lawyer in the 60s and 70s, uh, and also Fred Trump's lawyer. Uh, and then they uh, he, can, he also represented a lot of the five families here in New York City, uh, the, the mafia, uh, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, Cohn was very, very fond of counterattacking uh, doing smear campaigns to destroy the reputations of the other side and the government lawyers involved. Uh, it first was successful for the Trumps back in 1973, 74, 75, when they had been sued by the federal government for housing discrimination, uh, discriminating against black uh, prospective tenants at their apartment buildings in Brooklyn and Queens. Yeah, the racism goes back into goes the seventies. Well, yep. even even before that, because uh, mm. you know, as 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 many folks know, uh, you know, you can actually go back and even a generation before that to the fact that uh, Trump's grandfather, Fred's father, uh, was right. actually arrested in a KKK riot in New York back in the twenties. Yes. So you can go even back even further. Uh, but yes, they got sued. For housing discrimination, and they ultimately got off with pretty much a slap on the wrist. Uh, they yeah. did have to engage in some remedial actions, but they never paid a penny. They didn't have to admit any fault. Uh, Cohn really got them off. And then Trump, and part of it was by absolutely shredding the professional reputation, personal reputation of the government lawyer on the other side, uh, just really, really going after them in, a, in a, an incredibly uh, horrible way. And it sent a message. I think that plus then the fact that Trump's been very good at well-timed political donations and charity donations. He basically Mm -hmm. through a combination of, you know, uh, a sword and a sweetener managed to act, managed to get most prosecutors away from him for about 40 years. Uh, And it, it makes it very tough to go after him when you've got those kind of tactics going on. But it's other things, too, if you compare to the mob cases, like Trump's playing to the crowd, his going after prosecutors and even the judge while on trial, uh, trying to expand the scope of the conflict away from the courtroom and into the media where he has a better chance of finding some sympathetic ears. Uh, Mm -hmm. Those are all techniques that, among others, John Gotti was very fond of using back in his various trials in the 80s. Uh, which he did win three acquittals for, although we should note one of them was, de- at least one of them was definitely due to illegal criminal witness tampering, uh, or mm. pardon me, jury t- juror tampering, uh, for which other people ultimately got criminal charges on them for that too. Uh, but yeah. we, we should note that even Gotti was got on his fourth criminal case. Yeah, So it's not if you keep going after these people, you will eventually break through. But the key is you have to keep pushing. You can't give up. Uh, No matter how many times it seems like they get away with things, if you use that 
as a self-justification to not go after them or to stop or to pull up short and take a, 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 some sort of settlement or some sort of uh, you know slap on the wrist as a good enough outcome, then you will never actually get there. They will win. You're basically letting that you're letting these tactics and strategies prevail if you give in to them like that. Yeah, and basically what you're saying is we need to hold criminals accountable right. or they'll keep committing crimes. Correct. I mean it's yeah, it's it's it is in fact in a lot of ways that simple, but then trying to unpack that and sure. put it in the context of these not only the cases that have come before, but then also I apply all of these rules to the cases that are going on now and try to analyze how the current cases that we're watching unfold on TV every day and on social media every day. What are, the, what are these folks doing right? How can we actually draw some lessons of hope and, opt, and optimism, but grounded in reality uh, that, are pre- that we, we can look at, are these folks actually following this playbook? Have we actually come to a place where we now have a playbook that works against mm-hmm. this kind of figure uh, I believe we do. I think the New York AG's yeah. office, starting with the Trump University case, has built that playbook. They've been perfecting it over time. Because remember, they went, then went on to do the Trump Foundation case that happened a few right. years ago. And now the big civil fraud case for which we are expecting a uh, decision post-trial any day, any minute now, uh, that could be of upwards of $370 million dollars. So I'm going to ask you to comment on them, but for my listeners, could you just describe the Trump University case that you won? Sure. So the you know the the thing there is that you know too was really a truly a con. You know it it never quite developed fully into a cult, probably by. I'm sure your definition and others seem like a multi-level marketing cult to me. Yeah. In my it, research. Yeah, it, you know, I don't think that it ever quite had the staying power. They, they tended to churn through people pretty quickly. I think that they mm-hmm. didn't get a lot of adherence that then went on to go recruit other people and so forth and so on, which is what, you know, I think if they wanted to make it longer lasting and more successful, they would have been able to pull off. I think they were so keen to rip people off that they didn't play the long game. Uh, yeah. They got they they did upsell people into a uh, into lar- into l- larger more expensive programs. So you'd come to one. It was a big bait and switch. You'd come to one yeah. program. It'd be fifteen hundred dollars for the weekend. That program was supposed to teach you everything you needed to know to start investing in real estate. Then right. you'd get there, and they'd be like, "Oh, actually, you're going to get killed out there if you try to start investing right now. You need a mentor." And we're here for you. So you just have right. to join one of these Trump elite programs and we'll take and we'll totally take care of you. We'll help you every step of the way. We'll be with you for a year longer, holding your hand. There's literally a phrase they use all the time, holding your hand and making sure that we will walk you through all of your first big transactions. We will mm-hmm. help you make your first hundred K, your first million as a real estate as a real estate investor. Uh, and then of course they would get to that point and they would get nothing of the sort. And ultimately there was nothing at the end of that rainbow. Uh, so people ended up being out as much as $35,000 lost their life savings, uh, mm-hmm. emptied out their bank accounts, went into crippling credit card debt, 
Uh, one man I talked to in the New York area lost his home over it. He he had mm. to, he couldn't make his home payments anymore, and he had, he, uh, he had to you know move into a one bedroom apartment. Um, yep. And these people had been terribly hurt by what had happened to them. A lot of them were banking on this being the thing that would let them start a second career late in life right. that would help them really build up their nest eggs for retirement. And instead they came out worse off, way worse off than when they had started. And these were his super fans. These were people who adored the apprentice, adored him. They idolized him. They thought he was a hero and he picked their pockets. He stabbed them in yep. the back and picked their pockets. And a lot of them did, they all came to realize it pretty much. Almost everybody I talked to, was about 85% of the folks I talked to, realized that they had been conned by the time mm -hmm. I spoke with them. Uh, and dozens of them were brave enough to step forward and be willing to sign sworn statements. Uh, uh -huh. But it was, um, yeah, I could go on and on and on. But there, there were a yeah, lot of but it was the Trump name that was, was the, the appeal. And Trump fact, University, and, and you get time right. with Donald Trump. They, and they would allude to him stopping by, but all you could yeah. get was a picture of him, a picture of a cardboard cutout with him. That kind of says it all, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, they would say that he handpicked the instructors. He had never met any of them, had no role in picking them. They said right. that it was his curriculum and his secrets. So much of this is like, and I'm, I'm sure that, that you can relate to this wholly, is that so much of the of the grift is, you know what, those people out there, they're not telling you the real truth. They're right. not telling you the secrets to life and success and happiness. If you just follow me and give me your credit card number, I will teach you the things all of them, with a capital T, won't. They're hiding yeah. things from you. Those elites are hiding these things from you, and I'm going to tell you all the secrets. So that's that's the game that they were playing, 100%. And he keeps playing and that he's game. Playing it. And he he's grifting people on yeah. and on and on, and they're yep. paying for – my understanding is they're donating to his legal defenses. Effectively, a lot of – some of the people maybe realize that, and I think a lot of people don't realize that, that that's really what they're donating to. It's not for him to keep America great or to make America great again or to – to, to be the champion of their beliefs and their interests and their identities. It's to line his own pocket, to save his own skin for things that, that he awesome. screwed up. It, it, he's not in it for America. He's not in it for the, for the conservative movement. He's not in it for Christianity. He's in it for himself. 125%. Yep. There's no doubt. And eventually I think more and more people are going to come to realize that it is just right. taking a, a heartbreakingly long amount of time for this to happen. And yes, they are continuing. He's running the same scam. He's running the same scams. He sent a text message to his followers a week ago that said that Donald Trump wants to meet you. Give $10 now to win a trip to Mar-a-Lago. Not for a chance to win a trip to Mar-a-Lago, which by law is the thing that they should have said. Yeah. But, you know, but there's probably a lot of people there that were thinking like, I'm going to go. I'm going to get to go. I gave him 10 bucks. Right. Where's my ticket? I'm going to get right. to see him. Right. And, yeah. You know, it's wishful thinking. Wishful thinking and projection. Yeah. Yeah. So I did chapter three of the cult of Trump on uh, the, the stereotypical profile of cult leaders, Tristan, which is malignant narcissism. 
and I compared him with Jim Jones, mm -hmm. some young moon of my former cult and Hubbard of Scientology, and the parallels are completely there. Yeah. You know, self-interest, self-interest, lack of empathy, but then the thinking they're above the law, pathological lying, sadistic, paranoid, threatening. You, there's a whole yeah. laundry list of characteristics which is part of my work, trying to educate people. Yep. Hey, you want to protect yourself from a cult or you know, right. or a grift? Know these characteristics yep. and watch the behavior. Don't listen to the words. Watch the behavior and such. So I, I want to just come back to your wonderful new book. You were mentioning Roy Cohn and how he was the, the, the lead lawyer who would, you know, protect uh, uh, criminals and, and mafia, etc. And you have a quote at the top from my friend Michael Cohn, who was asked to take over for Roy Cohn's role and was uh, self-professedly self uh, now an ex-member of the cult of Trump. He got mm -hmm. bewitched, yeah. he said, by the awe factor of being with this image that was largely built up by Mark Burnett's that uh, a yes. lot of people don't realize of the seven mountain dominionist Christian, you know, ilk that's part of the cult of Trump that I describe into this. Trump was this fabulous billionaire, successful businessman. Yep. Not. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is that even the people that I interviewed and I interviewed over a hundred uh, victims for our case, uh, it was actually the very first thing I did when I started the case, as I talk about in the book, uh, because at first we actually weren't sure. This was not some sort of preconceived notion that we were out to get him. Uh, we started off with a blank slate. And when I first started at the office, we weren't sure whether there was a case or not. My mm -hmm. first job was to go find out whether there was. Uh, uh -huh. And it was a great job to give the new guy because it was going to be time consuming and laborious and possibly very boring and possibly a dead end. Um, and. When I first got it, I was like, oh, God, this is going to be terrible. I got to make all these phone calls. And I just locked myself in my office, and I wasn't sure what to expect. And I was procrastinating a lot. You know, it was like, okay, uh, I'm going to make a call, and then I'm going to go check my fantasy football team again. I'm going to make another call, and then I'm going to see if I can find a new running back off the waiver wire. Um, and then I started actually getting these people to call me back because I was leaving a lot of voicemails at first. I started talking to them. And the tears and the mortification, the embarrassment, uh, yep. how could I have been so fooled? How could I have been so stupid? I can't believe I fell for this. But I'll tell you something that's interesting here about the what you were just talking about with Burnett and everything is that even after these people realized that they'd been conned, they'd been scammed, they'd been ripped off their words, by the way, not mine. Yep. They would still say things like, a lot of them would, not all of them, but some of them would still say things like, I believe, I, you know, I, you know, Trump is this, they would still say things like Trump is the most uh, wealthy uh, businessman in America. No, never has been, never even close. Trump right. is the wealthiest, most successful real estate developer in New York. No, never has been, never was, never even close. Uh, but they still believe those things. Some of them even still would say things like, I don't think it was his fault. They would say, I think it was his people betrayed him. They were the ones who were messed it up. I don't believe he knew how badly his people were messing it up. 
that they didn't actually follow through on the promises. I don't blame him. I blame his people. This is fascinating. This is fascinating. And I just need to tell you, and a lot of my listeners are former cult members. This is the cult leader playbook leftovers and true believers who have never gotten the counseling on the understanding mind control and how these beliefs were installed in their head. Yeah. And they, 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 they have yet to take the, the effort to compare the dots with Jim Jones. Let's unpack what are the parallels and let's go back to the truth claims, you know, that he was, he was God on earth while he's having sex with women and men and putting kids in pits right. with phony, you know, rattlesnake ropes in the middle of the night. Yeah. It's horrible stuff. But when I, what I want to, why I'm making a, a thing about this right now is we have an election. He's, he's presumably the GOP nominee. And there's more and more people starting to question whether they should follow Trump. They have these doubts, they come up, but then maybe they're surrounded or they're still listening to social media mm-hmm. or they're listening to their pastor or whatever. So they keep not taking that leap to like call the attorney general's office, tell your story, right? unpack it, talk to other ex-members because there are ex-members of the cult of Trump that are now speaking out. That's right. Yeah, I think that the kicker was a lot of these people, uh, you know, this was back in 2011. Uh, There had been some news stories about claims of fraud. There had been a class action lawsuit filed. Uh, Some of them kind of knew about it. I think a lot of them didn't really know what to do. Was that the vitamin company he had? No, this was the this was the this was the Trump University class action case that was in parallel to ours. It was pending out in uh, federal district court in California in San Diego. That was, by the way, the case that yielded the infamous that Mexican judge. uh, oh, I remember Trump. that. Uh, judge, judge Judge Alfonso Curiel in uh, in in San Diego, uh, and uh, that case was settled along with ours as a global settlement for the twenty five million dollars that we were able to recover from victims. But at any rate, I think at that point it was still early, and people didn't realize exactly how bad the scam had been. It had not yeah. gotten much media attention. There had been this class action case, but it didn't get that much coverage. It got a bit, but not a ton. Uh, there had been a brief story that it kind of got buried that our case had launched. Yeah. Um, but these folks were, they hadn't come forward, to be clear. Only a handful of them did. That's part of why we weren't sure whether there was a case. We had yeah. only gotten five complaints. Mm. It wasn't because people came forward. It's because I went and called them because my bosses told me, hey, start calling people. I think they thought I was going to call. I, I was originally supposed to call maybe 30 people. They, I think they were thinking I could call a few dozen people. But I got so obsessed with this once I started talking to these people, I couldn't stop. Good I kept for going, you. I kept going. I kept going. And fi- I had gotten to about like 60-some. And I, I had like 63 or something like that. And I'm sitting there being like, you know, if I'm going to write up a report on this and then be able to score them and figure out like, okay, X percentage did this, did that, whatever. I'm not, I don't really feel like dividing by 63. So maybe I'll just go to a hundred. 
<laughs> Good for and, you. So I just kept going. I couldn't stop. So I sat in my office for, you know, my, my new colleagues didn't know. They were like, who's the new guy? We never see him. He, I was in, I was in my office with the door shut all day, every day, uh, you know, just making phone calls. And I did that for like my first six weeks at the office. I did, mm-hmm. I did hardly anything else. I had one other case I was working on that I did a little bit of work on, but that was it. Like people were like, what's he doing? He's just locked in his office all day. Uh, but I came out with this report and then we went to the executive office and presented it. And then it was like, Oh, there really is something here. This is horrible. Just the, the details that I had uncovered uh, and the right. consistency among different people's uh, stories about it. But the, but the kicker is that I think that it took more time. People definitely knew more about what had gone wrong by the time we talked to them again in 2013. I imagine they have very different views on it today. Uh, and to your point about the election, I do believe that bit by bit by bit by bit that there's going to be people that fall out of the cult. I think there's going to be more and more people. And I think we'll really see it, hopefully, I think, with some of these trials coming up where we get really credible witnesses who, look, people might have more right-leaning beliefs. I don't agree with them, but that's fine. But they're going to have a lot of people up there on on the witness stand who are total conservatives lifelong they're not changing these are not no one's going to think that mike pence is a liberal no one's going to think mark meadows is a liberal uh Mm -hmm. and they're going to be getting up there and giving these credible detailed accounts of their participation in these plots and conspiracies and and what donald trump ordered them to do uh and i think that when people hear all of these details i do believe there's going to be it's not going to all of a sudden be oh the whole thing collapsed all at one blow no it's going to be i think we're going to see another sliver another sliver another sliver of folks in that camp pull the cord and say you know what this is my stop i'm out yeah i supported him all this way i voted for him in 16 i voted for him in 20 i have the flag i have the bumper sticker i have the hat but this is too much. He, he, he betrayed the country and I care more about the country than I do about him. He was in it for himself. And I hope that that's the realization that more and more people get to is look, I like if people want to keep the right wing belief set as flawed as I think it is, go ahead and keep that. But like, let's at least drop the cult leader, like, you know, sort of fascist leader part of this cult of personality. We got to drop that part. Okay, mm. just go fine. Then after that, you can support, I don't know, my Pence or, you know, whoever. I don't pick, pick, pick somebody. I don't really care who it is, but pick somebody else who's not a, who's not a fascist cult leader. Now, are we, is it possible that we're going to be able to have that right wing politics without kind of a fascist cult of personality? I don't know. That's a different story. But I do believe that we're rapidly going to reach a point here where you're going to see more defections. I do believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's clear the Coke super, super PAC is backing Haley and is right. prepared to keep going with that. So for me, the issue is authoritarianism versus rule of law and democracy. Right. I don't even see this as a left-right liberal conservative anymore. It's really about authoritarianism versus mm-hmm. human rights and, and free speech and rule of law and accountability. 
But if I may, Tristan, for one more minute, say that um, because this is what I do professionally as a mental health professional for 47 years, what I've been saying all along is the family and the friends are people who've swallowed the the potion and they Mm -hmm. believe that he's God's agent. It's the family and friends that need to get educated that it's not a lost cause. Their loved one got radicalized and maybe they blocked them, muted them, didn't invite them home for Thanksgiving. But it's these warm, long relationships that need to get reinvigorated. Mm -hmm. I miss you. I love you. I want you in my life. Let's not talk about politics. Let's just connect again. And remember the good old days before Trump entered our consciousness? Rebuild the relationship. But then as news issues come up, then you're in a position to say, I'd love to get your take on this and then share a snippet of Trump saying one of his insane things or a decision, uh, you know, a testimony of Meadows or somebody like that. But the idea isn't to try to push it down people's throat. It's about asking a question that empowers them to think for themselves and being Mm -hmm. patient and waiting for a response. Because that works in my experience but it's going to, this is like a big psychoeducation yeah. thing that needs to happen. But it's not just going to come from the media down. It's got to come from the grassroots up with people who actually care about their brother, their sister, their uncle, their parents. Yeah. I've been hearing about their parents who are into QAnon mm-hmm. and are believing these conspiracy theories. But there are ways to reconnect the person to their common sense, their sense of values, yeah. right? So it's, it's, it's really, for me, your strength, your clarity of points, and I, I almost want to read your, your, 12, you know, your rules, your 12 rules. I don't know if I should or just let people buy your book. Oh, I'm, I'm, we, we shared them already, so I'm, 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 I'm happy to... We, we share, we're about to drop the introduction to the book as a free sample oh, coming up great. here too. So. Well, I'm going to just read through it and yeah. whet people's appetite. It's not a long read, but it's really good stuff. Rule one, get total buy-in from top leadership. Two, freeze Trump out and never let him co-opt. Rule three, tilt the political incentives in favor of intervention. That's all with leadership of the prosecutorial uh, departments and political departments. Investigation. Rule four, Trump will stonewall you, but fight back. Rule five, former vendors are potential allies. Rules, because he always stiffs everybody, right? that's right. He totally, you know, you never want to do business with someone who's going to stiff you. Why would you go back to somebody who stiffed you? It's another part of the common sense that needs to get plugged into uh, people's minds. Uh, rule six, play the long game. Yes, yes. Rule seven, Trump is incapable of being quiet. Big mouth, can't help himself, narcissist. Has to be the center of attention, needs that, you know, Entitlement and, and self-aggrandizement. Compelled to brag. 
even yep. when it's self-sabotaging and you can use that against it. Yes. Yep. Rule number eight, get Trump under oath. Yes. Part three, going public. Rule nine, it has to be perfect. Get, get your case details perfect. Rule 10, focus on the signal, not the noise. Say something about that. So that's all about, uh, you know, and, and by the way, each of those is sort of the truncated rule. And then the full rule is there as you go into the text. Each rule is a chapter. Uh, yeah. each, each chapter is a rule. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that one there is, you know, it's about the, the signal and the noise. It's also it, it's about Trump having his clown car full of lawyers pull up. And the circus pops out. It's like, doo, 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 doo. Oh, look at all these shiny objects. Oh, look at over here. Look at over here. Oh, there's an elephant. Oh, there's a giraffe. Like, they're going to come out and come up with all of these other points and, and quasi-arguments and facts that don't matter, and accusations and so forth and so on. Anything but what the case is actually about. And they're going right. to file these huge briefs with all of this extraneous uh, material that is totally irrelevant. And you can't go, lawyers get trained, uh, and I think a lot of professionals get trained to rebut every single argument that comes along. Uh, right. You can't do that with his lawyers. You actually have to ignore most of the points that they make, dismiss them, toss them aside. You know, basically, you know, I love using, I love using phrases like, you know, the, 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 ir the irrelevant points from opposing counsel notwithstanding dot, 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 and then you just sort of keep going. It's just like, that was stupid. We don't need to pay any attention to it. We're moving yep. on. That had nothing to do with anything. Focus on the, focus on your case, your arguments, your facts, your law. Occasionally, if they truly raise a legal argument, you've got to combat it. But nine times out of 10, you can ignore most of what they're doing, focus on your case, and wait for them to make a mistake. So that's what can, that's about. Can I comment as an expert sure. on undue influence? Yeah, so sure. It's all about attention. And if you're making an argument to mm -hmm. the judge or jury, they're trying to distract. That You yep. call it the clown show, which I love. But they're trying to distract people's attention, and they want to try to create confusion, which is how you mind control people, is you confuse them. Yep. And you talk with certainty about nonsense. Of course, there are green Martians that have landed in Roswell. <laughs> it doesn't everybody know that? And it's like, not counsel's point notwithstanding. Yeah, you just got to keep going. You just got to keep going. So, right. So yep. stay, but this is a, a message for all my listeners with the social media. It's like they want to capture your attention. If you're on Trump's social media, they're going to keep all your hours occupied, filling it with crap. Yep. And you got to turn it off. And there's going to be all these other things. Oh, it was at a pizza store. Oh, it's JFK's alive. Like all the, and then you're not actually paying attention to, we had a coup in this country for the first time ever. And it failed, but we actually need to prosecute it. Yes. And that's the simple truth. But it's all this other stuff that they're using to distract us from the very simple truths. That is so, I'm so glad you said that. And if I may, I'll just comment on a law professor emeritus 
Alan Shefflin social influence model, which he created that shows the influencee and their vulnerability, the influencer or the predator or the predatory group, and the who, what, when, where, and how, and the consequences. It's a formula for prosecuting Trump because That's he had the authority yeah. of the presidency. These people were vulnerable because they mm -hmm. had been lied to. They're in these different groups. And, and, and the law is like, well, if you're not a minor or you're not elderly with dementia, we can't know what undue influence is. And I right. say, that's crap. That's not true. Because if you can control behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions and reprogram yeah. people to be dependent and obedient followers of a cult, now you're talking about undue influence on a massive scale. Yeah, I mean, that actually raises a really interesting point about the law around fraud, the statutory law around fraud. It actually relates to, say, the New York AG civil case that's going on right now, but just these laws in general, which Trump is now kind of trying to call into question. Uh, you know, his position there is that, well, well, the banks like Deutsche Bank are not the ones, are, they're not complaining, so there shouldn't be a case because there's no victim. Um, now I don't, no one's going to cry a river for Deutsche Bank, obviously, but the, but the bigger principle here is that if the, if the, if the victim doesn't realize they're a victim, then there is no crime, which is a horribly corrosive, dangerous thing to think. And he wants to cut right at the very core of something that's very important related to what you just said. We have laws on the books. We've had them for almost a hundred years now in America. Uh, it really started actually in New York. Uh, with this thing called the Martin Act, which was the very first uh, really robust securities regulation law in America. Uh, and then the law that we are prosecuting today, uh, Trump for with the civil fraud, and we also used against him in the, in the Trump University case, is based on the Martin Act. But it's the standard that says, hey, uh, I'll just, if you indulge me just a minute, Sure. The, the Fascinating. Old, the old law on fraud, what's called common law fraud, requires the defrauded party to show that they were reasonable in relying upon the misrepresentation, i.e. it's basically a caveat emptor standard. It's like, look, if you were an idiot, the law is effectively saying to you paternalistically, if it, it, it's blaming the victim. It's basically saying, look, right. it's your fault that you believed the lie. And if yeah. we determine that you were wrong for believing the lie, that it was irrational for you to believe the lie, then the liar gets to get away with it. That was that was the law going back, we're talking six, seven hundred years in England and then into the US. And it's still true today. If Deutsche Bank wanted to sue uh, Trump for fraud, they would have to use common law fraud. We have these statutory, and common law just means judge-made law. We have these statutory legislative made laws on the books now regarding fraud that are there in pretty much every state in one way or another. New York still has some of the best ones, thankfully. And they have a different standard. They got rid of this reasonable reliance requirement. They also got rid of being requiring that you have to be able to show that the lies were intentional, which is can be difficult to prove because you have to prove state of mind, which, is very, which, can, which can be very tricky, especially when you have someone like Trump who doesn't actually put anything in writing himself or very rarely. So mm. it's very hard to like pin him down with, with smoking gun evidence of his intent. So 
the statutory fraud provisions get exactly into this. How do you actually go after somebody who has engaged in, in what you refer to there as undue influence? And we've got laws on the books that, that help with this. We just have to enforce them and we have to make sure that our that our state AGs in particular, but they're not the only ones, but that a lot of these government enforcement authorities that, that go after economic crime and corruption are given the resources that they need to be able to do their job better. They are terribly underfunded and underappreciated, and they do absolutely heroic work to, count, to combat and counteract a lot of this undue influence, but that the whole field of consumer protection is basically is based on is based on this. It's about combating and prosecuting that kind of undue influence. The the standard in New York for being able to prosecute one of these cases, and it's a civil prosecution, but it's still prosecution, is was there a tendency to deceive? That's the standard under the mm. modern statutory law, and that's what the standard should be. It's effectively, was there undue influence or not? And if there was, then there's liability. And we're about to see that with this $370 million, it may come in a little bit less than that, but this big civil fraud case that's about to drop in New York is under that statute. It's under that standard. That's what we've got as law in America. We just need to see it through and we need to do more to hold these kind of fraudsters and grifters accountable because that is, it's undue influence we have the weaponry. We just have to give everybody the resources to be able to go and use that and, and go yeah. in there and vindicate people's rights and get victims their money back. Wow. I appreciated that lesson in the law. Thank you so much. And I guess for me, because of my work, I talk about how cults deceptively recruit people mm-hmm. in by outright lies, withholding vital information or distorting information mm-hmm. to make it palatable. But this was another piece that was very, 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 very important and interesting. And I guess there are political exemptions and there are ministerial exemptions somehow in the law that if you are in politics you can lie is that I mean, am i reading that you, correctly you, it, yeah it gets difficult when you have it is very much true that the boundary line between law around fraud and consumer protection uh, misrepresentations, false advertising, so forth and so on. And the and First Amendment law, there's a boundary in between that is not clear cut, very mm. much so. So you're right. As soon as it gets into things in the political realm, the law is much more likely to say, hold up there, this looks a little bit too much like a First Amendment situation. And if, now, that doesn't stop private citizens from being able to mount such fraud suits Uh, they can and should there are plenty of statutes on the books in all 50 states and at the federal level that consumers can take advantage of uh, and should uh, in these situations because if it's a consumer or it's a class action then it's not the government trying to restrict speech right simply private parties suing each other regarding speech and that's not a first amendment issue let's lest we forget if the AG's office comes after somebody for lying politically mm-hmm. and conning people into political donations, yeah, you don't normally see that unless you have a gross, clear-cut case of misuse of funds. 
Now, that could still happen with regard to Trump. Yes. Let's be clear. And I said, and I'll keep saying, uh, I said it the other day, and I'm going to keep saying it, we need to be investigating exactly where all of this money is going. And it yes. should it be used for the purposes for which it is being used. We have a clear-cut, clear-cut, clear-cut example, like a comically clear-cut example on what not to do with, with political donations in the form of one of my favorite people, I'm sure it's one of your favorite people right now, George Santos. So when you use those <laughs> political donations to buy yourself uh, things from Hermes and uh, Ferragamo shoes, which by the way, the good taste in shoes, that's fine. But like when you buy yourself shoes and shots of Botox in your face and stuff like that, yes, that is definitely, you're going to get rung up for that. And he's going to trial in September. Yeah. Uh, but what is it when it's lies about like, was it lies about building a wall? Is it a lie about what he's going to do with these elected offices? Is it a lie about what he's doing with the, with the money? You know, yeah, that does get into much more of a murky area. I think where it's been more clear cut in the past is if you try to raise money for X, and then it definitely does not go to X. It goes to something completely different, and it goes to something that isn't the political campaign or something related to the political campaign. That is a campaign finance violation that the law is willing to recognize and prosecute. But we'll see. So I have a citizen's question because <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, you've got me thinking about consumer laws exist. They just mm -hmm. need more resources. Very much so. Yep. You know, and and I'm thinking I want to ask you about would it help the if the public were messaging on social media, but also contacting AGs, oh. et cetera, saying, we want you to continue good work. We we need you. Please do it. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I'm probably going to be spending a lot of time on in the years to come. I really care about this issue a lot. It relates to the things I care about politically, sort of the intersection of the political and legal. I, I think all of this is very intimately related. The the, the modern-day grift culture that we have is very much intertwined with, with extreme right politics. And I think it's an area that's worth exploring. But even if we take the politics out of it, we just think about people just getting ripped off in general, which, of course, itself is very bad. Yes, I think that we need to – there needs to be more work done in terms of the connected tissue that's modern and digital – to get people more aware of the fact that there's people out there helping to vindicate those rights uh, and to... And foreign governments meddling in our too. elections. All of it. Please. All of it. But, but, the, but the, you know, I think people don't even necessarily realize when government resources are out there to help victims of scams. Not necessarily. I think people don't realize it. Uh, these agencies... A lot of them, you know, there's a Consumer Protection Bureau in pretty much every state AG's office. A lot of cities have a Consumer Protection Bureau also. New York City does. Uh, there's also the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, a lot of other federal agencies uh, come into play. And there's the uh, Consumer, uh, there's the, the, the CFPB. There's a whole bunch. These agencies are out there, but I don't think people realize that they're there. So yeah, we're going to do a blog. Work. We could do a whole but thing about that. We're going to do a, a blog and we're going to put links because we're yeah, going to tap your expertise. It's, it's very important. That it's something I plan to do a lot more with my socials because I want to help be that modern day digital social media connective tissue that can help people realize like, look, 
if you've been ripped off, like right. there are people out there whose job it is to help you. And in fact, they love their work and they want to help you. And if it's these folks from the government, they're not even going to take a, a cut of what they can win. They're yeah. just going to they're just going to do it. And there's also a lot of great lawyers out there who, who, who would take a cut if they win, but it's but they won't charge you up front. Right. So there's contingency a lot of contingency law. fee. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of great work that's being done, whether it's in, uh, you know, sort of straight up like scams, bait and switches, uh, you know, uh, predatory practices in lending or bill collection, uh, data privacy issues. That's a big one. Huge. Uh, the, the, there's a lot of issues out there or, or that have to do with, uh, you know, faulty products or false advertising. There's all sorts of things like that, that, that people actually can realize there, there are people out there. There's places where you can turn to, to yeah. actually get help. And it, we don't just have to wait for so-and-so's complaint on Twitter to go viral. You know, I helped one person who had a very bad situation with Airbnb there. This, there was this case recently with this, uh, you know, it wasn't a legal case. It was just a, woman who happened to be a writer and had a very compelling story and a very and a, and a solid following on twitter like fifteen thousand people or something like that and her story got picked up and went viral i think it ended up getting about 20 million impressions on twitter and yes airbnb refunded her, her money but it shouldn't take your story going viral just to right. get help like we need to do more to help connect the dots between people who have been harmed and the folks out there that can help them Right. And if I may name, and I want to get to our last two rules before we wrap oh, up. Yeah, we, but we lost but cults rules. are very tricky and they will indoctrinate members uh, into an, a belief system that anything good that happens is because of them, mm-hmm. God or whatever, their powers. And anything that doesn't work or anything that's bad, it's you. It's your your bad karma. You have bad spirits. You, your soul. This is one that really riles me up. Your soul needed you to learn a lesson. That's why you were raped when you were a five-year-old. Yep. You know, and and indoctrinating people to think there's no such thing as a victim. Right. Like this Byron Katie. I'm walking into the uh, extermination camps and I'm thinking it's my best day. People actually follow Byron Katie, who teaches this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, and the Trump it's people amazing. did this too. After the fact, even, and after we filed our case, they actually, and eventually I think they realized it wasn't working in the media and they kind of, they, they stopped saying it. But at first, one of their big talking points was, well, anybody, they certainly did this to individual people who came forward uh, and the initial media reports, and they even did it after we filed our case, but then they backed away from it. They actually went out there and said, if anybody, if these people that are complaining, it's because they weren't successful at using the techniques. That's it. University. That's, yep. They messed up. They didn't succeed. And so this is sour grapes. That's the, that's that, the cult 101. That's the cult. Yeah, it's it's so exciting to talk with you. I'm so glad you're out there doing doing good and standing up to bullies and and criminals. So we did focus on the signal, not the noise. That was great. Rule eleven: Trump will lash out. Ignore it. 
That's a big don't one. Don't feed the trolls. Don't feed the trolls and don't let them get under your skin. Eugene Carroll is a very good example of that. She did a masterful job of, of being stoic and poised. Yeah, and I saw an interview with you with Tim Miller where he showed a little clip where she was so afraid to be in court against Donald I Trump. Once she was there, she was like, she was yeah. dialed in. She when, was ice. The fear. Ice. It was the phobia, but once once it was r real, it's like, you know, this guy is evil. He's that's coming also, down. It speaks to her and speaks to her lawyers for prepping her because that's yes. very hard work to get folks ready. It's intimidating enough to go testify, even in just a business dispute case where yeah. it's not the same stakes, where it's someone who harms you like that, that I can't even imagine. And they they had to have done just an absolutely terrific job of getting her ready for that moment. Yeah, they, they absolutely. Uh, I do consulting witness stuff and I help prep people yeah, it's, to it's stand up work. to their tra trafficker. Yeah. Last, stick to your guns. Rule number 12, stick to your guns. And this is your story. You you got tenacious, you did the work, and you you made it happen. And, and uh, well, thank you. And, uh, and another, and, uh, and that chapter then gets into the fact that it is possible to, if you keep pressuring him, he will, he could start to crack, but you need to not give in too early. Don't take whatever low ball offer he might throw in front of you to go away. Keep pushing. A good right. example of that recently was Michael Cohen was owed a lot of money uh, by Trump for unpaid legal fees. And, Cohen didn't let go. He kept pushing, 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 pushing right up to the eve of trial. Then he settled. We don't know yeah. how much it was for. We know Cohen came away happy. And the, here's the kicker. Michael knows the technique because he used to do it to other people for Trump. So he knew what to do. Because you just need to keep, it's a game of chicken. You're just going to keep going. And you have to be willing to then actually take the case all the way into trial yep. and go and win. Um, you know, I suspect that there is probably a moment there where there was potentially an off-ramp for Trump in some of these cases where he could have uh, where he could have actually tried to settle the case, but they couldn't agree on the number, is my bet. I bet we'll learn this eventually. Yeah. And so I feel like the rule is probably being applied. I, th I, I wonder whether Carol had a chance to settle for less and, didn't, and, and wouldn't blink. Um, and I wonder if the AG's office with this big civil fraud case might have had a chance to settle for less, but they've kept pushing. But that's what you've got to do. You basically, if you, if you if you're confident in your case, take it all the way to trial. Don't. Yeah, we gotta we gotta hold criminals accountable in the end, not just yeah. paying money, but holding them a criminal. Uh, uh, you know, really. Tristan yep. Snell, thank you. Taking down Trump, 12 rules for prosecuting Donald Trump by someone who did it successfully. Check out takingdowntrump.com. Final words, my man. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. And, and, and thank you to everybody listening. Uh, you know, this is, yeah, there's a lot of very interesting overlap between some of these areas and mental health and uh, or the lack thereof, unfortunately, <laughs> and what happens in some of these cults and grifts and cons. And I think it's an area that deserves a lot more exploration so that we can arm and immunize ourselves against these things and then also hold the malefactors accountable.
Yep. And let's let's help everyone understand their rights yep. and understand the qualities of grifters and yep. malignant narcissists. Let's reach out to family and friends who've been co-opted by this uh, authoritarian uh, cultic, you know, system of belief. And let's uh, let's bolster our democracy. There was one other thing I wanted to ask you, if I may, very briefly. I'm so worried about the Supreme Court and yes. the Federalist Society and the big billion-dollar 1.6 donation of Leonard Leo. Other than, from my mind, because I'm lay a person, uh, other than getting a supermajority and expanding the Supreme Court and putting like some like healthy people on the court to balance it out, what do we do? Because this is a mess. It is a mess. I think that we are going to be on the razor's edge for a while on this point. Uh, you know, I think, yeah, we could we actually get to a point where we have a 60 vote majority to overcome filibusters and then be able to put more justices on the bench. I think that's a tough road to, to, to climb. I th or could we actually just say that we're finally done with the filibuster um, and that we're willing to make that move? That's also something that it seems like folks in Washington have been unwilling to do, that they're afraid of the consequences when back in the minority and not controlling the Senate. Uh, I think it's going to be a very, very tough road. And I think we've got some nail biter moments coming up here in the next year where we have to worry about it's, it's clear that we've got at least two of the nine justices that are deeply compromised. Yeah. Uh, and it might be more than that. And we we're just going to have to hope that they aren't able to summon majorities to be able to do some things that we would have otherwise thought unthinkable and to actually hold Trump and his uh, cronies to be above the law because that would be possibly the beginning of the end of our whole system of government and justice. Yeah. Uh, so we, we have to hang tight. I wish there were more that we could do on that front. Mm. Although I will say one thing, I do think the one thing that isn't being done that should be done is we need the Senate Judiciary Committee to step up and actually launch a more uh, robust investigation of some of this uh, corruption. They've started to do so, but I really wish that they would go, uh, they would really come in in a more, uh, in a more fulsome way. They need to move faster. I think they need to be more, uh, they need to be more assertive and, and really get to the bottom of this. People deserve to know yes. what has happened here. How, like these justices, how many free trips have they gone on? How much have they not reported? Who has given them money and why? And, and, and who are these people? We know that we're going to have some of this potentially happening, but I just don't think they've done enough. Yeah. Uh, and I think that there needs to be much more of an investigation. Uh, journalists have already done their part. All these pieces yeah. in ProPublica have been wonderful. But we need to get to a point where government authorities are really looking into this. That would be a start. Is that actually going to get any of them off the court? I don't know. But let's start by finding out the facts and getting to the bottom of this and shining right. a very bright light. That's where we need to start. And we need to stand up and insist that our senators go and do so. Great. Thank you so much, Tristan Snell. Pick up the book. Follow him on social media. We'll do a, a blog. We'll, we'll put your links in there. 
And um, thank you for your good work. Thank you, Stephen. Anytime. That's it for today's episode of the Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.